everybody to the Sooner Nation podcast. We hope you had a Merry Christmas and are looking forward to a Happy New Year. Of course, part of that hinges on what happens between the Sooners and the Gators at AT&T Stadium. Arlington, Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Oklahoma enters this game riding a seven-game lo- winning streak. I started to say losing streak, Rich. Almost jinxed us right there. Seven-game winning streak. The Sooners haven't lost since October 3rd, that game in Ames, Iowa. Florida, on the other hand, comes into this game legitimately on a losing streak, having lost two in a row. Obviously, they lost to Alabama in the SEC Championship. And then the Shoegate game against LSU at the Swamp, right? That game was, no, or that, was that game in Baton Rouge or at the Swamp? No, no, no. That, I, I do believe that one was in Florida. Was at the Swamp? Okay, so here's the first. Well, we can double check it, though. Yeah, but yeah I do believe. we'll have our crack staff of researchers get right on that. Here's, um, here's a question for you, Rich. Um, as we get started on, on the podcast, was at the swamp. Yes, you give me a thumbs up. So yes, does OU get? Is there any advantage you can take if you're Oklahoma of playing at AT&T Stadium? I mean, you kind of make your annual trip there anyway for the Big Twelve Championship. The Big Twelve Championship is a big game. It's not like you're playing in one of those early season games where you pit two conference rival or two conference. Uh, powerhouses together have that early season bowl atmosphere, but this is like a legitimate big bowl game. It's the Cotton Bowl. It's a New Year's Six Bowl for the Sooners. Is there any advantage for Oklahoma having been there, done that, as far as just the stadium goes? I don't know that there's a measurable advantage, but what you do have to take a little bit of solace in when it comes to Oklahoma playing down in Dallas is that One, it's a short drive. There's not a lot of travel when you talk about switching time zones like Florida is going to have to do. There is a little bit of adjusting. I don't know that it affects anyone per se, but there is some adjusting that must occur. Oklahoma is also familiar with a lot of the practices or a lot of the things that actually entail in playing in AT&T and Jerry World if we just want to use the easiest term that we can for this. But Oklahoma is familiar with the procedures, what takes place before the game, the walkout, any loading zones, the locker room, things of that nature. So I think there's a little bit more comfortability. It's not you're walking into a brand new situation like Florida will be with this team. Yeah, but I do think also, I mean, when you look at the field, it's not like you – It's you know, sometimes with basketball, you know there's dead spots. You know, what's your dribble over there in that corner or you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes on natural grass fields with football, you know where the sprinkler heads are. You know, just just as you're running things, there's nothing like that on this turf. This is right. a this is an NFL stadium, so there's, mm-hmm. not, there's nothing familiar with the turf. And you're right about proximity, and I think – Really, if you're looking for any type of advantage that Oklahoma may have in the proximity, it's that you mentioned it. It's a very short drive. Fans can wake up on the 30th, go to work, work half a day or whatever, and then go to Dallas, head south, where you can't do that from Gainesville. You can't do that from from Orlando. You can't do that from anywhere in Florida Gator territory. I mean, it's it's a trip. You're coming in the day before or the day of. You're going to have to stay the night. It's a limited number of tickets that are available. I think probably I would be surprised if the crowd favors Florida. I would honestly be surprised if the crowd's 50-50. You would think you would think that this would be a home crowd for Oklahoma. Yeah, absolutely. And not just because of that proximity, but you're also talking about you you've mentioned taking time off of work. I think there's this unease potentially with traveling. There's some unease with entering a stadium or being in large crowds for a large number of people combined with the fact that we're already at limited seating as it is. Right. So any seats that come open, especially any seats that come open last minute are most likely going to be quickly snatched up by Oklahoma fans versus Gator fans. Now this game, when you talk about the player personnel on the field, this game could be a springboard to the NFL for guys like Nick Benito, Ronnie Perkins. Should they be able to show out big time on this stage? It could mean, Hey, NFL draft, let's let's do this based on what their draft projections were. But for guys like Spencer Rattler, this could easily become a springboard into Heisman Trophy um, contention going into the 2021 season. If Rattler is able to shine against a guy like Kyle Trask, who Heisman finalist in his own right, 
if Rattler's able to shine on this stage, he could go into early season prognostication as one of those guys, Lincoln Riley's quarterbacks, pencil him in for New York City. But also the other guy that that I think could have a better opportunity here is Ramondre Stevenson. Which one of these two guys is this a bigger stage for? Because Spencer <laughs> Rattler has been the story. You're going to hear all about it. You're going to, as you're watching this game, you're going to hear about the benching against Texas. You're going to hear about maturing throughout the season. You're going to hear about learning to take better care of the ball and the better decision-making process. But you're also going to see Ramondre go up against a defense that is porous against the run. Maybe Ramondre is the one that they come out of this game saying big things for that guy. You're already shaking your head. I am shaking uh, my head now. My question is, well, let's start here. So you're, you're saying it's, it's more for Rattler. Let, let's just go there. Absolutely, I do. What we look at when we see Spencer Rattler is a player who led the Big 12 in passing yards, led the Big 12 in completion percentage. I believe he yet let, yet led the Big 12 in yards per completion. There's a slew of stats that have already been heaped upon Rattler for those expectations for next year because everybody's looking at those and saying from – Redshirt freshman year to redshirt sophomore year, they're expecting an exponential type growth. And now there is some validity to that. But numbers aside, the reason I say it's a bigger deal for a guy like Spencer Rattler than it is for a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, one, it's the quarterback position. Mm -hmm. All eyes will consistently be on that quarterback position as it seems as though the Heisman Trophy has become a quarterback's award. It's been quite some time. But since you we, think your receiver is going to win it I, this year? I do. I think it's very likely. It's been a long time since we've had a running back claim that prize. It's been an even longer time since we've had a receiver claim that prize. So when I look at Spencer Rattler, he has that going for him, but it's also going to be the, here's this SEC defense, which has, whether it's warranted or not, has some kind of a stigma already attached to it. It doesn't matter what the numbers, it doesn't matter statistically how good Florida is. It doesn't matter where they rank against on the national scale. What matters is that it's an SEC opponent. It's this Oklahoma football team who consistently has said, you know what? It doesn't matter who we're playing. It can be the SEC. No one's faced this kind of a spread offense. It's an opportunity to prove that, and everything hinges on the quarterback position. There are some other reasons, Matt, that I would love to throw in at this point in time, but I know we're going to get into our game breakdown, so I'll save it for then. Yeah, game breakdown, absolutely coming. But let me just throw a couple of things out here. Um, Oklahoma is one of two Power 5 programs that ranks um, nationally in the top 20 in both total offense and total defense. You want to take a guess who the other program is? It's not Florida. It's definitely not Florida. The, how, you they you are said the, it's one of two. Yeah, um, one of two. However, Florida is the top passing program in the country, but one of two power five programs that ranks top 20, both offense and defense, total offense, total defense. Uh, I, this is going to be a complete shot in the dark here, but I, I, I want to say it's Notre Dame. It's not Notre Dame, but it is it's one. Clemson. Of the, yeah, it's Clemson. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's one of the playoff teams. But you know, you had sunny. Yeah, and and you had, here's, you, had a, you know, you had seventy five percent. Right. The reason that. the reason I strayed away from Clemson was because of that stretch of games where they had to put their freshman quarterback in instead of having yeah. Trevor Lawrence right, right. directing this this offense. Okay, so one more quick thing: um, Oklahoma in the last seven, excuse me, the last eight seasons, they've played seven SEC opponents. You want to guess what their record is? We we've talked about this earlier this week. Did we? I so don't I think remember. I've got a, I think I've got a good go on it. It's four and three. Four and three in the last seven. So this would be in the eight. last three is over. You well, the last three has been playoff games: Georgia, uh -huh. Alabama, LSU. So be, before that, in non-playoff games, they're four and zero oh <laughs> against the SEC. But here's an important thing: um, this is when you look at Oklahoma's offensive output against the SEC in each of those seven games, they've scored at least 28 points and have averaged 37 points. Now this is a spread offense going against some of the more powerhouse defenses in the SEC. When you talk about Georgia, you talk about Alabama, talk about LSU last year, Tennessee wasn't terrible on defense when the Sooners played the Vols both in Norman and in Knoxville, they're averaging 37 points against those defenses. And now they're getting ready to play, a Florida defense that is subpar 
to anybody's standards, much less the SEC. So that's a good segue for us to jump into Oklahoma's offense versus the Gators' defense. Oklahoma comes into the Cotton Bowl as a three-point underdog to the Florida Gators. The Sooners averaging 41.8 points per game. Now, they've been stuck on 27 for the last two games, closing out the regular season against Baylor and then the Big 12 championship game against Iowa State. The Florida Gators come into this game allowing opponents to score an average of 28.6. Florida gives up 404.7 yards total to their opponents. 258 through the air, 146 on the ground. You have you. This is Oklahoma's advantage. I mean, when, when you go into this game, you have to say this is the most advantageous thing Oklahoma has going for them in this matchup because they're going to have to rely on some turnovers. They're going to have to rely on some, honestly, a little bit of luck. They're going to have to rely on trying to confuse Kyle Trask. You you want to score every time you have the ball. And this Florida defense statistically should not put up a lot of opposition in that category. What kind of give me some of your thoughts here when you look at Oklahoma's offense versus the Florida defense? Yeah, obviously we want to focus a little bit in onto Florida's defense because it's it's unfamiliar territory for Oklahoma Sooners fans. When we begin to look at Florida, I think they do a lot of things very similarly to what we've seen Oklahoma do all season, and that is. First off, they're getting pressure on the defensive uh, defensive line. It's a lot of times coming from the middle, but you know where the, a majority of the sacks are coming from, Matt? They're coming from that linebacker position. Does that sound familiar to Oklahoma fans with right. Ronnie Perkins, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas? A- absolutely, 100% it does. And so when I look at what Oklahoma has to do, I think it all starts up front. It starts in the trenches. It starts with this offensive line protecting Spencer Rattler. If Florida's defense can consistently get to the quarterback, and mind you, they've been very good at doing that. 33 sacks this year ranks in the top 10. I believe it's actually in the top five, just going from memory here. Top five in the country in sacks collected for a singular team. So we know that they have that that capability. We know that there are some athletes that are playing at that defensive end position. This offensive line, again, must keep Spencer Rattler comfortable. But I also know a lot of that's going to come down to this rushing attack. And when you look at Ramondre Stevenson, you look at the big body that he is. You look at the ability to run the ball, but more importantly, the ability to come out of the backfield and catch a pass. I think it makes him extremely valuable, and I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Stevenson became the focal point of this Oklahoma offense. Now, what we know, Matt, at this point is that TJ Pledger has opted out. He's entered the transfer portal. He will not be playing in this game. It puts just a little bit more pressure on a guy like Stevenson to actually produce because what's behind him is largely unproven now and doesn't have quite the experience that Pledger did on the season. Still, I look at Pledger and I look at the ability. He may not have top top in speed, may not have the biggest burst that you've ever seen, but what we've seen is a motor that never dies. And we see that ability to come out of the backfield, which reminds me a lot of Najee Harris and what Najee Harris did against Florida was quite impressive. If you watch that sec championship game. Well, I, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, going. I was just saying, I think it, it really starts there on that offensive line, springing Stevenson open, allowing him to maneuver in some of these running lanes, mm-hmm. but also keeping the Jersey of Rattler clean. You know, when we talked about in our last podcast, where we just kind of took took a look at this game, we talked about Ramondre Stevenson and doing some of the things Alabama did in the passing game with Najee Harris. And, and Ramondre is completely capable of doing that. And here's the thing that I think we, we've talked about the loss of Pitts, of Kyle Pitts on Florida's offensive side of the ball, but losing Vinchel Miller, number 51, this is the guy who leads the team, 86 tackles. They've got 33 sacks, the Gators do, coming in to this game. He he leads them with sacks as well, with three and a half sacks. And so when you, when you talk about missing out on big name bodies or big name players, I think you said it, Rich, off, cam- or off camera, off microphone. He, he was the SEC player of, of the week twice, right? Yeah. So this is a big miss for the Gators when you're talking about both the things. Where, when we're talking about running Ramondre between the tackles and we're talking about splitting Ramondre out or, or giving him the ball uh, in in the air through the off the slot, a guy like Miller, 52 tackles on the season – 
solo, 86 total tackles on the season. The next guy down is, is another linebacker, 63. And I don't I, Mohamed Dibate, I, I don't know how to say that last name. Dibate, uh, 63 total tackles for that guy. So you you go from three and a half sacks for Miller to one and a half sacks, and you, you lose 23 tackles. That lets you know they didn't just lose a defensive player. They lost their best defensive player. Well, don't don't count out a guy like Brenton Cox Jr. Number one, plays that linebacker position, mm-hmm. doesn't have quite the experience that these other names like eventual Miller had on this roster. But I do believe he ha- he possesses a very similar skill set, a guy with four sacks from right. that linebacker position. Again, expect to see him come and attempt to clean up any disruption, any havoc that be- can be caused by this defensive line of Florida in the backfield. Yeah, it's going to be in what I'm curious about when something like this happens is what is the, what's the team chemistry like when, when you lose a guy like this and, and Cox, by the way, you're, you're right. He's, he's a, a talented guy in that second unit. Right. Um, but he's so sorry to cut you no, off here. I, I do believe he's going to be a little bit more of a liability than a guy like a Vinshaw Miller. And the only reason I say that is because we look at what Oklahoma possesses in that receiving core. It may be a young receiving core, but you look at guys like Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, who are taller receivers. You look at a guy like Marvin Mims, who's coming out of the slot, and then you can add in even these H-backs. All of a sudden, Oklahoma has the the capability to target a guy like Cox and say, this is where our mismatch is going to be right. created. 6'3", 250. I don't expect him to keep up with a guy who's going to be dragging across the middle and looking to sit down in a zone or just behind the linebackers. The last three games, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, Miller has 34 total tackles. So the guy's averaging over 10 tackles a game the last three games. That's a huge loss. And so I, we're going this whole whole way around to say I agree 100% with Ramondre Stevenson being that pounder, but also to do – I think it's even more more capable of, of doing what they did with Najee Harris in the passing game without a guy like Miller in the lineup. And then I'm going to also go back to what we talked about uh, in the last podcast and using a guy like Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis, that H-back position – in general, a guy like Mikey Henderson, where you when he's in that backfield, you have to respect the fact that he could run. And so that gives that play action just that much more sincerity. If you're that linebacker, a play action to Ramon J. Stevenson is going to freeze a linebacker longer than a play action would be to Braden Willis or a play action would be, you know, to Jeremiah Hall, because there is actually is film of Mikey Henderson running the ball. But all three of those guys are deadly in the passing game. And so how do you how do you adequately defend a Ramon J. Stevenson coming out of the backfield when also you have to worry about the H back, whoever it may be? That's that's a lot for a already a hampered defense to deal with, but also a defense that's I again I'm I'm wondering what the mentality of this defense is going to be without a guy like Miller. What does that do to the locker room? What does that do? Is it a coach's spat? You know, when anytime a guy goes into the transfer portal, you got to ask why, why is he doing that? You, you know why Tanner Mordecai went to the transfer portal. You know why TJ pleasure went to the transfer portal. Tanner Mordecai is not Oklahoma's leading passer. TJ pleasure was not Oklahoma's leading mm-hmm. rusher. When, when a guy who is a statistical leader on your team goes in the transfer portal, it leaves a ripple effect behind. Some teams rally around that and they become stronger. Some teams kind of go in there divided. If it's a player against a coach, it, it can have an effect there. And I'm just, that's a storyline that you're going to want to watch and just see if Oklahoma comes out on their opening drive, what do they do? I mean, if, if they come out and they just go right down the field and score a touchdown, how does that second layer of the Florida defense, how do they respond to that? That's going to be a key that you're definitely going to want to keep an eye on here. Third thing I'm going to throw out there, Matt, when it comes to this Oklahoma offense versus this Florida defense is, and I've said this for a long time now, maybe it's fair, maybe it isn't fair, but Oklahoma and the the deep shots almost disappeared for a period of time. 
I saw a little bit of a resurgence as Marvin Mims once again found himself getting loose beyond the secondary against this Florida team. I think there's opportunity for that once more. I said last week when we did it, just a quick little snippet of what our initial thoughts were concerning this game, that Theo Weiss was the guy to look out for. However, as time has gone by, I'm slowly changing my opinion to focus more in on a guy like Marvin Mims, really because of the speed that he possesses, as well as the attention that I think some of these other guys will draw. Well, I think you're leaving out a big name here, and that is Trajan Bridges. I mean, this is a guy that and I haven't even seen him. Well, I mean, they one, took one attempt. Well, but I mean, it was a hey, get out there, let's do this thing. Right. Um, they took the deep shot. You're talking about in the Big Twelve Championship. Um, this is a guy that Lincoln Riley compared to Tylen Wallace. I mean, when, when Oklahoma was preparing for Bedlam, Trajan Bridges was was the Tylen Wallace guy. Um, he has that deep shot ability. He has that speed. He was a high level recruit coming out of high school. Yeah, he's missed the entire season. But when you're talking about the deep threat, I absolutely believe that this is the guy you want to keep in mind. And but and I and I agree with what you're saying again, but it all goes back to what they're able to do on the ground. If Ramondre is able to pick up three and a half, four yards of carry throughout this game, then you're gonna see those deep shots become more and more effective because the more Ramondre runs successfully, we've talked about this, Rich. We've said it over and over and over again. Throughout the season, the more effective the running game is for Oklahoma, the more you see those safeties start to cheat forward because they don't trust the defensive line. They don't trust the linebackers. Keeping Spencer Rattler clean. I want to go back to what you said that uh, what you said about that, because I think that's something that's completely overlooked. We, we talked about the 33 sacks. We talked about losing three and a half sacks. And and you you talked about Cox coming back with four sacks. I think I might have mis, misspoken when I uh, because Cox does lead the team with four sacks. But that's something that that Oklahoma's going to have to. We we've still seen this offensive line get confused, and I do think that there's room there for for Florida to do some stunting with their with their front guys and then bring pressure up the middle or pressure from the side, I, I'm starting on that left side. I'm going to challenge the left side of Oklahoma's offensive line. And I'm good. I mean, especially obvious passing downs, but, but that's a, it's a fair point. If Spencer Rattler stays upright and that Jersey stays clean and Ramon J's running the ball, this, this is going to be the type of offensive performance that we saw Alabama have. Uh, we saw LSU have, the last two games against this Florida defense that is clearly frustrated and is searching for answers, but also clearly thinks higher of themselves than what they actually are from the standpoint that, you know, you go back to the comment we talked about last week that, you know, Hey, th- this is a good matchup, but look, they're not sec. They're not the Florida Gators. Oklahoma is going to come into this game with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think just to prove what everyone else already assumes as well, that, they're not inferior to the SEC. And I think you you go back and you look at it. We talked about the 7-3 and three record. We talked about those losses being to the eventual national champion, the last two of them, and then obviously to Georgia the year before. Um, I, I expect big things. If Oklahoma gets stuck on 27 in this game, I'm going to be shocked. I would be too. Matt, when I look at this game... And just to summarize kind of generally what I'm expecting from this offense is I'm expecting virtually no turnovers. I know you can't sit here and say that. And then it happened because it's, it's not as easily done as it is said, but Spencer Rattler has been playing with so much confidence at this point in time that I think he's going to continue to show that poise. He's going to continue to show that maturation But more importantly is I believe we have a coaching staff that if signs of inexperience, signs of the oh no moments begin to creep up for Spencer Rattler, this is a coaching staff that has shown a willingness to make a change in order to get Rattler to be level-headed once again. 
Florida is going to be no slouch on the offensive side of the ball. And so I do, I I have to think that Oklahoma is going to want to score plenty of points and they're not going to let up in the second half because Florida, if, if they're ahead or if they're behind, they're still coming. Kyle Trask is leading the nation's best pass offense, statistically best pass offense. And there will be no plays that you can take off, whether you're on the defensive line as a linebacker or even in that secondary for Oklahoma, which we'll get to here in a bit. Well, and well, yeah, we'll, we'll flip sides of the ball here in a second, but you're absolutely right with Kyle Trask. I mean, he's first in passing offense, 375 yards per game, first in passing touchdowns with, with 43. This is a this is a Florida offense that's not going to fall asleep. They're, they're not going to go into a funk. And as long as Kyle Trask is back there slinging it, this is a mm-hmm. they're going to have a chance. Right. And so you're right. You can't. There, no, no turnovers because they most likely will be costly. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I. I'm gonna. We've we talked about the the receivers. You know, I, I'm gonna. You're going with Marvin Mims. I think that's what you went with. I'm I'm going with yeah. Trajan Bridges. <laughs> we talked about Spencer Rattler. We we've talked about Ramondre Stevenson. My my key that to me the offensive position that is key in the success of this game is the H back. And because you got three of them that you run out there between Mikey Henderson, Braden Willis, and Jeremiah Hall. I can't give you one specific name, but I'm going to say watch this position. The H-back to me is going to be the key position for this offense, and that's what I'm going to be keep, keeping a close eye on Thursday night. And I love, Wednesday night. I love that pick because we've already talked about the pass rush of Florida. We talked about where that pass rush has typically been successful. Again, we know pressure is coming from the middle. When that, that chaos happens and the pocket begins to collapse, a linebacker has been the one who's come in and clean that up. Guess guess whose job it's going to be to fend off those linebackers, those blitzing linebackers. It's most likely the running back or that H back. Mm-hmm. So I love that pick. You got one, the, another one you're going to look at. Or are you going to stick with with what you've already I, said? I'm, like I said, I'm sticking with Marvin Mims. Okay, all the way. All right. Well, let's uh, let's flip sides of the ball and talk about Oklahoma's defense against Kyle Trask. You know what? I know we're flipping to defense, Rich, but. One thing I, I do want to just run back to real fast to stress the importance of the run game is it gives if Oklahoma can continually to be balanced on the offensive side of the ball. Again, things that we've we've said this in the past, but it gives Lincoln Riley full access to his playbook if he can be balanced. That's why running the ball is so important. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I feel like that flips over to Oklahoma's defense as well. Florida's terrible at running the football. Terrible. Go ahead. You got something to say. And they couldn't care less. But not this year, not this season. Oklahoma ranks third nationally, the number one in the Big 12. They give up 90.6 rushing yards per game. You may know this, but if you don't, I'm going to throw it out here. Do you know where Oklahoma, I mean, where Florida ranks nationally running the football? I don't know. I, I I'm gonna take another stab in the dark. OU's third. Ninety-three running no. in running the ball. Yeah, OU's third in uh-huh. run defense. Oh, Florida run defense. is what in run offense. I don't like I said, ninety-three was my best guess. Hundred and ninth. So nice. the the point I'm making is right? <laughs> when you look at defending a guy like Kyle Trask, if he's able to have an offense that runs the football it becomes that much more complicated to defend him. But this is a team that already doesn't run the ball. And if you can defend that, whatever they're going to do, you can, if you can defend that with base defense and then deploy extra guys to be pass rushers or drop eight back in coverage, you really have a shot against this guy who is, I don't want to take anything away from him. He's a great story. I love the fact that he was behind Derrick King in high school. They came to scout Derrick King. They saw Kyle Trask. He got he came to a camp, and at the camp, they were like, okay, this guy's pretty good. Let's offer him a scholarship. But he never started in high school, and now he's he's a Heisman Trophy finalist. It's a great story. He's a great quarterback. He's going to make lots of money next year in the NFL. But he would be so much better if he had a rushing attack that could keep their offense balanced. And Oklahoma's first job defensively defensively is going to keep them one-dimensional towards the pass. So you're going to say base defense, Perrin Winfrey, do your thing. 
right? Stuff yeah, that but, but run. when you get to the quarterback, actually bring yes, him down. Yes, please. Yes, please. I, hopefully they, <laughs> they worked on wrapping. I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, that's a great point after the Big 12 championship game. But the, but the point I'm making is stuff the run. And then let's let's win first down. Let's win. Let's put them in second, third, and long, so we can deploy Ronnie Perkins, Nick Benito. We we can do the things that we and, and Kyle Trask. He's a guy like Brock Purdy, and that he has the ability to run. He has some escapability to him, but he's not going to turn that field like a Sam Ellinger would with with that much consistency. He's a guy that would rather throw the ball. So when as he's scrambling. Eyes will still be downfield, so you've got to make sure you're still covering your man. And then those guys chasing him, they have to, Rich, they have to get proper pursuit angles. You can't over-pursue this guy because we give him, even without pits, you give him extra time, he's going to find someone downfield. They're that good. When it comes to Oklahoma's game plan then, Matt, do you see this going more along the lines of Oklahoma rushing three? and then pulling everybody else back into coverage, but using some disguised blitzes, whether that's from the linebacker, whether that's from the corner. Now, one thing we we haven't even mentioned at this point still is the loss of Trey Brown. Trey Brown opting out right. of this bowl game, which means that it's most likely going to be a young defender taking over that side of the field as the cornerback, whether that's a Woody Washington or a DJ Graham. I expect that side of the field to be tested early. I expect it to be tested Often because what Florida is bringing is not just Kyle Trask. They're also bringing a deep receiving group Mm -hmm. and it's a capable receiving group. Given, given the fact of how many times they've thrown the ball and how many times they've actually connected Trask has 43 touchdowns on the season. I I think that tells you all that you need to know about just how potent this, this passing attack can be. But when it comes to Oklahoma, do you see this being more of that that three down linemen and then Oklahoma using some different looks, disguising what they're doing and bringing that blitz from whether that's a Nick Benito as a linebacker or maybe dropping Benito into coverage because we know that he did that two years ago and has done that this year as well, unless we've forgotten about the Baylor game and, and what he did right. in that Big 12 championship game of 2019. Needless to say, uh, I'm just I'm going to leave it to you to answer that question. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a lot of things out here in response to what you just said. Number one, Florida has 10 guys. 10 different guys who have caught touchdown passes in 2020. Now we know they lose, they lose Kyle Pitts. He leads the team with, uh, with, with 12 touchdowns, but Tony, uh, he's got 10 and he averages 14.1 yards per reception. He leads the team with 70 catches for 984 yards. So you're right. They've got pass catchers for days. They got the Grimes kid. They got the Copeland kid. They've got guys who can go out and catch passes, but Kyle Trask relied heavily upon Tony and Pitts. If you cover Tony, there's Pitts. It's one of those situations where it's hard to to get both. So now they're going to have to prove against an Oklahoma secondary that there's someone out there. If you if you play man over on Tony, so you got a man on him, a man over the top on Tony, you got to prove that someone else can win a matchup. And and you're right, they're going to come after most likely where. Trey Brown used to be. So if I'm if I'm Alex Grinch, I'm putting here's your here's your starting cornerbacks according to the the official game depth chart. You've got on one side you've got Jaden Davis with DJ Graham backing him up, him up. On the other side you've got Woody Washington with Joshua Eaton backing him up. If I'm Alex Grinch, I'm putting Woody Washington on Tony. And the reason why it's twofold. Number one, he's, he's not a true freshman. He's a red shirt freshman. He played in the cotton and the uh, peach bowl last year. So he's got that big game experience, but number two, he's most likely going to have Trey Norwood over the top. So he, he's not going to be the guy on the Island. The guy that's going to be in the Island I'm thinking is going to be Jaden Davis. And he's going to have to hold his water against whoever the number two receiver is going to be for Florida. So you you've got you've got that aspect of it that that's coming at you. You got guys who can catch passes, guys who can catch touchdowns, and then you've you've got a, a an offense a defense for Oklahoma that's lost a star. Now let's call it what it is. I, I love how Oklahoma fans try to water everything down. 
well, he only made big plays in the Big 12 championship. You know, that's not true. He did make big plays in the Big 12 championship, but to think that losing Trey Brown isn't going to hurt this team, next man up. Okay, well, that's true, but it's not as easy as what it sounds. But Oklahoma does have options there, particularly with Woody Washington being the redshirt freshman. Now, I'm high on DJ Graham. You're high on DJ Graham. We saw limited uh, Josh Eaton against Texas. I, I do love the fact that you know, you still have Trey Norwood or Brendan Radley Hiles at that nickel position. But I, I I would be shocked if it's not Trey Norwood. But this is going to be the battle to watch. I, I don't I don't think it's whoever's on Tony, it's whoever covers the other guy. Because you, you go back to the Peach Bowl, right? Where where did they where did LSU kill Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl? It was the guy that was that was covered by the Oklahoma's nickelback. And so that's that's what you can't let Kyle Trask get to. And so whether you rush three and drop eight, I think we're going to see some of that. I think you're going to see straight up coverage with your back end covering the back end and you're bringing pressure. I, I think you're going to see a, a mix of that from Alex Grinch. But the key for Alex Grinch is going to be able to transition from rushing three and dropping eight to bring in a blitz without changing your look. You know, you don't, you, what, uh, this guy's a smart quarterback and this is a great offense when it comes to throwing the football. So with the last thing you can afford to do, if you're Oklahoma is, is tip your hat, your hand a little bit and say, Hey, the blitz is coming from over there or Hey, they're dropping eight. We're going to go underneath on them. Let's check out of those plays. You've got to be able to do whether you're dropping eight or whether you're rushing four or five, you've got to be able to do it without losing your base look. And that's what's going to be interesting to me to watch what Oklahoma does personnel-wise. You know, with Ronnie Perkins on the field, are you still gonna are you still gonna drop eight with Ronnie Perkins and Nick Benito on the field? Or if Ronnie Perkins on a breather, then you drop eight because you're not getting pressure. Those are the type of things that you're going to have to keep an eye on because if Florida picks up on those tendencies, then that kind of, you got to go, it's, it's a chess match. You got to go to the next move. But I do think with a guy like Isaiah Thomas, a guy like Ronnie Perkins, a guy like Nick Benito, and then Perry and Winfrey bringing the pressure from the middle, whether they're rushing four five or three, I still think that there's going to get, they're going to get pressure on Trask. What I don't know is can they get there before Trask gets to his third read and can you take the first read away by, I mean, it just, it's going to be a fun chess match because can you take the first read away by playing someone over the top of Tony? Or do you need to leave? Do you need to have, do you need to have somebody? Do you need, can you leave him in one-on-one coverage? I would be afraid to leave him in one-on-one coverage, but Woody Washington may have to prove that he can do that. When we look at, <laughs> This defense as a whole, I, I think it's easy for Oklahoma fans, myself included in this conversation, to get excited because of what we've seen. And when we look at what Oklahoma has done to stop the run, it's been absolutely phenomenal. It's been the strength of this defense. The pass rush combined with the ability to stop the run has absolutely been been a tremendous effort not just from the coaching staff, but from the players who have bought in to what this coaching staff is selling and understanding their role within this defense. However, on the backside of things, I, I do think it gets a little bit interesting. And we've talked about how good guys like Isaiah Thomas have been all season long with the addition of a Ronnie Perkins, expecting the those numbers from the secondary to slowly begin to decrease. But mm-hmm. For lack of a better term, Oklahoma's just been mediocre for me in this secondary. They're not top of the list. They're not a top 25. They're they're just somewhere in the middle of the pack. Can I say that? Because you're giving me this look that says you completely disagree. I I mean I I'm I'm a little taken back by okay, mediocre. This, look look look. 
Matt, it's easy, and I've said this before, so I'll say it again. It's easy for us to take the final six games of the season and say that's the team that's been on the field. But I can't ignore the first the first six games. First, It's not even that many at that point because only 10 games have been played. But we take the first half of the season versus the second half of the season, and there's a lot of reason to be excited. But I can't shake that feeling that there is there's just a chance when Oklahoma takes the field that it's going to look like the first half of the season. So when I say mediocre, it's a it's a combination of both for me. Let me say it this way instead, okay? I'll remove that mediocre comment because it's clearly upsetting you. No, it's not upsetting me. I'm just I'm just a little bit because I'm thinking, okay, so then I guess the offense is mediocre because it's only scored 27 points in the last two games. You're going no, no, no. I mean that's that's what I'm you're saying. I'm not going to I'm not. I'm doing Joe from Anadarko voice for you now. As then you know, I, I can't. I can't let those first couple of games, those first three games go. It's not just a, mm-hmm. right. Okay, I look, get that. Look, I'm trying to be a realist when it comes okay, to this. Okay, be a realist, but you you can be a realist and say, you know what? They they've sacked a quarterback 20 times in the last six games. 20 times. Mm-hmm. You don't think Iowa State was good? Three interceptions against Brock Purdy last right. week in the Big 12 championship. He's the first team all Big 12 quarterback. I just yes, be real, but let's let's say this defense cuz here's what you're doing, Rich. And this is man, this is why you're firing me up. Here's what you're doing. You are buying into the SEC hype. And you're saying, well, you know, I, I, I see this. These guys are going to be like the first three games of the season because they're playing the Florida Gators. It's the SEC. Okay, what's different between Florida and Iowa State? What's different between Florida and Oklahoma State? What's di- they're, they're a terrible defensive team. They've got a great quarterback. They, they don't have Brees Hall that you got to worry about and running the ball. Are they going to be challenged? Yes. Are they going to lose battles? Yes. Is this going to be a close game? Yes. But to say they're mediocre after recording the most interceptions since, what, 2015? That's 20 <laughs> sacks in the last six games? I, just, I, I, I can't jump on board with that, man. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm going all in then. We're, we're going to stick with this label of mediocre. I'm not going to remove that. I'm not going to dismantle that label just for one argument, because here's what I see from Oklahoma. I'm just going to throw a stat out that I read to you just a little bit ago. Oklahoma is one of two power five programs that ranks top 20 nationally in both total offense and total defense, total defense, which includes the nation's number two rushing defense. But you you know know where they rank in the passing defense uh, sector. Hit me with it. It's not in the top 50. It's not even in the top 75. So do we need to revisit this and maybe change your mind? Because Oklahoma is giving up 243 yards per game to quarterbacks, to receivers. When I look at what Florida brings to the table, I I think that number is going to balloon up a little bit from there. Well, I don't think Kyle Chass is going to throw for less than 240 yards. I don't think he's going to throw for less than potentially 300. Maybe. uh, But I'm saying I don't think that they're going to hold Kyle Trask down. Okay, but because you're playing, because you're playing the best quarterback you've seen all season long, and because he has success, it doesn't make you media. I just feel like you're taken away from the accomplishments. Um, I don't, I don't think I'm adequately expressing myself. You, you just threw me for a loop with that mediocre comment. Are they the best defensive secondary no, in the nation? And, and no, that, they're not. They're, but they're the one thing that they're we, on the uphill side. I mean, they're 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 the, not mediocre. The one thing that you and I have agreed on all season long was that this was a secondary that lacked significant depth, that lacked experience in that depth as well. I honestly think that's the biggest contributor. I don't think it's a lack of talent. I think it's a lack of playing time for the players who are on that too deep. When you're going against what we have labeled potentially the best group of quarterbacks that the big 12 has seen in the past six, seven years from top to bottom. In the last two seasons, Oklahoma has a, a, get me, let me this mediocre defense. The last two seasons. No, no, no. 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 It wasn't, it wasn't as an entirety. Mediocre secondary, mediocre secondary. The last two seasons. So they played 13 games in 2019. They've played 11 games so far in 2020. So in the last 24 games, can you tell me how many receivers 
have recorded at least a 100-yard-plus game against this secondary? I can't. Take a guess. Ten. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's going to be three. And well, only one this year. So well, it happened last year with, with uh, uh, the Robinson kid from Kansas. Of course, we all remember Justin Jefferson torching Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. I already talked about that. You go after the safety position. Buki gets ejected. Woody Washington's in there. Justin Broyles is in uh, because DTL is out. And that was a very depleted so, secondary. So they just Justin Jefferson just abused them. And then it's happened once. And it happened this year. And it was at the Big 12 championship game with Xavier Hutchinson. So the Big 12 freshman offensive player of the year was the only person to <laughs> record. freshman or just newcomer? Whatever. The point is, only one time has happened this year. And you're going to stick to your guns that this secondary is mediocre. Yeah, but I was going to give you a little bit of saving grace. And now I feel like I shouldn't. Matt, when I say that the secondary has been mediocre it's because of that number 243 but you know where they've been excellent you know where this this secondary has been excellent pretty good on third down it's not it's in not giving up touchdowns this is a team through 10 games this season has only given up 11 touchdowns to how many interceptions 13 i just i i just how many of those I, interceptions have come in the end zone at least 3 by my count you had Woody by Washington. Way, by the way, I was right. The 13 interceptions this year are the most since 2015. So, Ben, don't break, baby, right? More <laughs> interceptions than passing right. touchdowns. Yeah, you can give up as many yards as you want to as long as you're not giving up touchdowns. But I just, I mean, I just, I, I don't know if we can be friends anymore after. Just say they're decent. They're not great. They're middle of the road. They're mediocre. They're not. They're, they're better than mediocre. in the country. 77 man of 120 teams. That's in the bottom half. I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I, you, you've really thrown me for a loss here. Um, give me uh defensive keys for me is going to be number one, keep them one dimensional where they, where Florida can't run the ball. <laughs> if Florida runs the ball, if Florida is North of 120 yards, this is going to be a long night for Oklahoma. Keep them one-dimensional. Put pressure on Kyle Trask. And then also try to confuse him. Even when he has time, make him think. Give yourself as much time as you can to get to the quarterback. Um, but you got to pressure him. He, you got to you, you, Nick Benito, Ronnie Perkins, Isaiah Thomas, those guys have to get to Kyle Trask. But you, you brought up, again, a point that I, I think – it's going to be the the position I'm watching, which is going to be those corners. Oklahoma's going into this game healthier and deeper at the safety position than they were against LSU in the Peach Bowl. Now that was the best offense Oklahoma's faced in the last two years, including this year. That I would that LSU offense is better than what Oklahoma's about to play against Florida. But this is a better, healthier, deeper secondary at the safety position. Losing Trey Brown hurts, but I I, I want to watch how does Woody who is Woody Washington matched up with? How does he do and does he need help? That's going to be the key for the secondary, in my opinion. As, actually, across the board, that's going to be key for the defense. I'm going to add one because I, I do agree with the first two that you've thrown out there. So for the third one, I'm I'm just going to say to keep everything in front of you. We've seen you brought up the name Xavier Hutchinson. We saw what a guy like that was capable of when given space, when given some room to maneuver. If Oklahoma can keep these receivers from Florida in front of them, I think that they'll have a lot a lot of success and, and may remove that tag of, of mediocre that I've given them. Listen, guys, uh, first of all, thank you for subscribing and listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. I want you to know when you hit us up on Twitter, that, that does come to me, but I can share it with Rich. So at Sports Heartland on Twitter, if you want to take Rich out behind the woodshed, feel free. 77. Feel free, 77. and I will make sure he gets every single one forwarded on to him. Let's go around the Big 12 with uh, with bold projections and, and who we think is going to win what, and then we're going to give you our score prediction for Oklahoma, Florida to close out the podcast. The bowl season for the Big 12 officially gets underway on Tuesday. 
Oklahoma playing Miami in the Cheez-It Bowl, 4.30 Central Time kickoff. And then you got Texas and Colorado, old Big 12 matchup. That takes place at 8 o'clock Central Time. Rich, I'm coming around on this Oklahoma State and Miami matchup. I I think, I I initially said Oklahoma State was going to get curb stomped. I don't think so now. I've, I've been looking at it. I've been kind of going through it. I do think Miami still wins this game. But I think it's extremely close. And I think what it's going to come down to is Oklahoma State's inability to properly contain Derrick King. Derrick King's already announced he's coming back for one more season and Coral Gables. Oklahoma State has just been a mess offensively. I do think the Cowboys are going to find success on the ground. You look back at what North Carolina did uh, to Miami and, and that ACC matchup. And I, even though you don't have Chuba Hubbard, I do think there are some things Oklahoma State can do running the ball and run effectively against Miami. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like this is going to be a one-score game, maybe less. I mean, maybe less than one score. It could be anywhere from from three to seven to one. or I mean, somewhere within that parameter, I think Miami wins this game, and, and I think they win it really close. I may take the opposite side of the That's field. That's fine. Because I was on from you less than one. a week ago, I was on the opposite side. See, and less than a week ago, I was saying that this was Miami's game to lose. It's going to come down to turnovers for me. I do think both of these offenses can be turnover prone at times. So whoever limits the number of turnovers or whoever produces on the defensive side, whoever produces the most turnovers is going to have the edge in this game. I, I'm going to give it to Oklahoma State by three. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. We, we we can we can do that. Um, let's go second game on Tuesday. Texas at Colorado. I have no respect for the Pac-12. I, I don't like Texas, but you know Tom uh, Tom Herman's coming back. Sam Ellinger is thinking about coming back. We've talked about both of those things. It would be completely Texas of them to go in and win this game by a touchdown or more, and then feel like they're the top team in the Big 12 going into 2021. Totally can see that happening just because I got no respect for the Pac-12. I, I don't think it's a good conference. I don't think there's – I mean, think about the Pac-12. The runner-up wasn't even supposed to be in the conference championship game. Oregon Ducks beat USC. Everyone's talking about, well, we're, why are we leaving USC out of the out of the uh, conference football playoff conversation? How come USC is not getting any love? Well, because you just lost to the third-place team. You didn't even lose to the second-place team in your conference. You lost to the third-place team in your conference, a team that didn't even qualify, but because of COVID, they got there and they beat you. No respect for the Pac-12. Give me Texas in this game by at least a touchdown. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think Colorado may go run-heavy against this Texas defense, which isn't going to bode well for them as they would hoped. Texas, I don't think they run away with this one, but I do think there's enough game control. There's enough management that will be displayed in this game for Texas that they win comfortably, say by two scores. Okay, Chris, uh, New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, uh, New Year's Eve, Thursday night, West Virginia Army in the Liberty Bowl this is the one game I'm on record now officially picking the Big 12 to lose. I think just way too much defense for Army on, on this. West Virginia, they've been better this season than they thought they than I thought they were going to be. I just we Oklahoma fans can tell you about Army and clock control. And if you can't if you can't capitalize on the limited possessions that you have, the Black Knights will ground out a ugly victory against you. And I see that taking place in this game. I think Army by four points, 24, something like 24-20, somewhere around there. Um, this is, again, the only the only bowl game I believe the Big 12, well, I just said Oklahoma State's going to lose. So the second bowl game I think the Big 12 loses here. <laughs> Army is a unique entity in and of themselves. It's a unique scheme, a unique system that you don't often face that in and of itself will give West Virginia problems. But the fact that I don't think they're going to hold the ball for very long, they're not going to have a lot of offensive opportunity. West Virginia, that is, which means, one, nobody wanted to play Army, did they? Right. Two, I think it speaks volumes when you post the record that they have going against this West Virginia team. Again, I, I don't think it's going to be pretty. Let's move on then. Arkansas at TCU in the Texas Bowl. Um, 
I think this will be a fun game. The Razorbacks, a team that has struggled defensively as well. TCU seems to kind of be finding their niche as the as the season closed out. I think TCU is going to be a fun team to watch over the offseason and really can be that spoiler. They, they kind of, in a way, they were this year by beating Texas early in, in conference play. I got TCU winning this game by, by again, at least a touchdown, something like 31-24 over an Arkansas team that's that's building its way back but still has a lot a lot of ugly football left in them, in my opinion. Yeah, Arkansas getting some wins this year. I know the fan base was quite pleased with that, but they still have a long way to go. TCU, Gary Patterson, this is a defensive-minded team, and I think they're going to ride that defense to a victory in this one. So that you're given actual numbers. I haven't given well, a that's single fine. one. I'm just so. this uh, this off top of my head type of situation. I do think when we get to the Fiesta Bowl, Big 12 runner up against the Pac-12 champion. I've already said what I said about about the Pac-12 January 2nd afternoon game. I I think I think Oregon's going to challenge Iowa State because I I've, I've said all along one of the things that Iowa State is susceptible to is speed. I feel like you can get behind that secondary, but Iowa State's going to bring a very physical brand of football, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. I I do think Oregon has big play potential in this game, but I think in the end, Iowa State, this is an Iowa State win by a field goal or so. Um, I just, I, I, I can see it 31, 28, somewhere around there. I think this will be a fun game to watch. I really do. I think Oregon's going to have problems with Brees Hall. I think they're going to have all kinds of problems with Charlie Kohler and those, those, those tight ends that Iowa State's going to bring. But again, I think Iowa State's going to have problems with the speed that Oregon's going to throw out there. This will be a fun game. Yeah, I think this will be a low scoring affair. They're not going to put up a ton of points on the board, but Iowa State, given the, this simple fact is that I believe I said fact and believe, which don't really go hand in hand. It's but the fact that you do believe. What I'll say is that <laughs> I believe Iowa State is the best team that Oregon will have faced all season oh, long. given the, Including USC in the championship game. Given the size of the receivers, as you've mentioned, given some of the speed to balance out that size with a guy like Hutchinson, mm. I, I I don't like it. Like I said, I don't think anyone's running away with this one, but I think it's a comfortable win for Iowa State. Again, two scores. I don't, I don't see two scores there, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Ten points is two scores. I said two. I know. Two to three. All right, that I leaves know. us with the Cotton Bowl: Oklahoma, Florida Sooners, and the Gators. December thirtieth from AT and T Stadium. I, I, if you thought, if if you thought the Big Twelve Championship was a stressful affair, wait until Wednesday night. I think this is going to be a fun game if you can separate yourself from the stress of being a fan. I think this is a game that win or lose, you're going to look back on and say, man, that was a heck of a football game. But I do believe this is a game Oklahoma wins. I just I, I can't get past Florida losing one of their key players on the offensive side of the ball and their best defensive guy. I, I think that speaks volumes. I do think Oklahoma is the better team, hands down, going into this game. But I think it's close. I'm glad you agree with the coaches' poll because I certainly do as well as the college football playoff poll is backing that statement up. When it the comes, the point to, spread isn't though. No, the point spread, but that's that's a betting line, and we knew that that oak opened in Oklahoma's favor and then swung into Florida's favor as those numbers started coming in. They've got to curb those bets because right. the people who are making those odds, they're not dummies. Mm-hmm. You know, they're. They gotta hedge their bets for lack of a better term on that. When it comes to this game, though, I do expect this one to be a high scoring affair. Unlike the Iowa State game, I, I could easily see both teams scoring close, if not over 40 points. And given the fact that Kyle Trask will be without pits, you've already mentioned on the defensive side, not only are they losing their their best tackler statistically, but they're also losing a guy who was a key cog in that pass rush right. equation. Given those two factors, I'm looking at Oklahoma and saying that they'll they'll win by three for me. 45-42. I'm close. I, I don't I'm not giving it that high of a score. I've got 35-31. Five touchdowns for the Sooners. Uh, they they hold Florida to a field goal in one possession. 
that ends up being huge. So 35-31 Oklahoma over Florida. Win or lose, we'll be back to kind of give you our thoughts afterwards as we close out the 2020 college football season uh, and get more into basketball as well. Again, you can always subscribe anywhere that you find podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. We're there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Also, you can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Have a happy new year, everybody. Boomer Sooner.